You know, last week I did something on the air that I was very, very proud of, and I really haven't shut up about it. (laughs) I convinced Parker Thune to drop a crystal ball live on the air for the first time in Locked In history. And now today I think I'm going to convince him to do something else on the air. Oh, no. I think when I bring up Michael Hawkins, I'm going to get Parker Thune to give one of his signature, uh, that boy good, after seeing him this past weekend. I'm going to guess that's not going to be a hard sell to get today. You saying that about Michael Hawkins Jr. after this weekend. Is that one of my signatures? Yeah, that boy good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. fair. I'll yeah, take yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that was a thing, but if that's is... a thing, I'm listen, I'm down with it. Uh, that boy good. Yeah, text line, have you have you noticed that? I I mean, we talk about a lot of different prospects for the 23, 24, and beyond, but when someone stands out to you, that's what I've noticed is you give the – uh, that boy good. So I, and I, he I, is. I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, some of the videos that you put out this weekend, I know Kendall has already complained and said he's throwing against air. Who cares? But there's a lot of zip on the football. There's a lot of accuracy, and it looked like there was a whole lot of confidence in some of the throws that he had as well. Some tight spaces that he was uh, fitting. The Man, I'll be in. honest. This is the first off season that Hawkins has played seven on seven, and so. I kind of, I had, a, I kind of had my concerns about how he was going to adjust to that environment because so much of his game is the ability to get outside the pocket and make stuff happen with his mobility, right? He's a guy that just naturally, because of the athlete that he is, uh, yeah, he can stand in the pocket and hurt you, but he's never going to stand in the pocket as it collapses. You know, if there's the slightest inkling that there's trouble afoot, that's a guy that's going to break it outside. And he's going to try to make something happen with his legs or try to create on the move. So in seven on seven, you got a quarterback that just basically takes a shotgun snap and has four seconds to get the ball out. And it's passing. It's all passing. It's known in some circles as passing league football as opposed to seven on seven. Sure. So I I really did wonder going down there how Michael Hawkins was going to be able to adjust and how he was going to be able to thrive, how immediately he was going to be able to thrive in an environment like that, but, man, he was so impressive, man. And I, yeah, I posted probably four or five videos of some of the throws he made. It was astonishing, man, because I'm sitting there on the sideline next to his dad, Mike Hawkins Sr., and we're just whistling with every throw that he makes, man, because it was it was honestly somewhat – like, it felt somewhat surreal because every single, every single throw that he made for probably three or four drives in succession – were throws that were right on the money, right out of the reach of an outstretched defender's arm, right to his wide receiver. And he was throwing guys open. He was hitting every level of the field. He was displaying that zip. He was displaying nice touch on the deep ball. Man, I'm just I'm more and more sold like, on Hawkins. Well, and, and that's why like you liked him. I mean, I like him too, but sure. you've seen him more in person than I have. But it sounds like like you rolled down there this weekend saying, Yeah, I, I like this kid and I think OU fans should be very happy if he is a quarterback addition for the 24 class. It sounds like you like him even more than what you did maybe three days ago before you saw him this weekend. Is that is that fair to say? Well, look, I don't want to – what I'm about to say, I don't want people to take this as a comparison to Jackson Arnold because I don't think Michael Hawkins and Jackson Arnold are the same player by any stretch. But the reason why Jackson Arnold ended up a five-star prospect in the class of 2023, despite being – Six foot one and 205 pounds, having very average measurables for a quarterback. Some would say below average. 
It's because over the course of his high school career, that's just a guy that got better and better and better with all the technical aspects of his game at the quarterback position. I'm sensing that same trend. Yeah, with and, and that's why you can't just look at that one game last year against a really good Denton Geyer team. What did Geyer have on the defensive side of the ball? They had a five star uh, safety that is going to be playing at OU next year. You had what Ryan Yates was there, right? Yeah, another yep. four star defensive back. How many other three or four stars did they have well, on that team? They had Eli. Yeah, okay. He's a four star corner in the twenty four class. They had another defensive lineman in the twenty five class that's already got several power five offers, including Oklahoma. Okay, so that's at least a third of their defense, yep. third of their starting defense that was you know, big time power five guys. And that's why you can't judge Michael Hawkins after that one game. And I think that's what a lot of people have been doing here recently. Like, he's still at a very young age. There's still time to grow significantly from his junior to his senior year. And it kind of sounds like that's what's happening with him. So, he continues to be seemingly OU's top priority in the 24 class for a quarterback. And I I think this is what you have to hope happens. Well, the distinction you always have to draw with guys like that, and what's so important to keep in mind, is that some players with that skill set – are athletes that have been shoehorned into the quarterback position. Other guys are true quarterbacks who just so happen to be really good athletes. If you talk to Mike Hawkins Sr., he'll tell you he never planned on his kid being a quarterback. He thought his kid was going to be a defensive back just like him, just like his younger son Malik is right now. Malik's going to be an excellent prospect in the class of 25. He's already got a couple offers. But the plan was always for Mike to play defensive back. And the reason why he took up quarterback is because Mike Sr. wanted his kid to have an understanding of what the quarterback had to visualize and run through and process at the line of scrimmage because he figured it would help his play as a defensive back. Well, (laughs) Mike Jr. ended up sticking at quarterback and never moved. And that's his first love. Uh, That's his craft is playing the quarterback position. And again, with as much as he continues to improve week after week, month after month, I'm really confident, Tyler, that this is a guy that can go into the offseason and make some legitimate noise among a very deep group of signal callers in the 2024 class. And though it is deep, I don't know that there's one guy that stands out above the rest. If that one guy does exist, I think it's Dylan Riola. Sure. But Big news out today with him, by the way. We'll get to that shortly. Uh-huh. <laughs> but beyond Riola. I don't know that there's a guy that you would say, okay, he's definitely top tier at this position in the class of 24 because I still think so many of these guys are unfinished. Products. So it looks like Michael Hawkins can throw the ball a little bit, and we know that he has the uh, the genetics. Now, Michael Hawkins Sr., in case you're kind of just now paying attention to the 24 class, this is OU's top priority at quarterback, and he is an OU legacy. You may not remember Michael Hawkins because he was just at OU for one year. I think it was 2002. But friend of the station, Mike Brooks, OU historian, mm-hmm. put this out earlier today. Oddly enough, never too early to look at some uh, sooner NFL combine performances. Here are the top seven uh, performers all time for OU in the 40s, right? Eric Bassey, number one, with the 436. DeMarco had a 4.37. Brandon Williams had a 4.37. Kenny Stills had a 4.38. Dee had a 4.39. And then at six, you had AD at a 4.41 and Mike Hawkins, his dad, at a 4.41. So this kid could throw the ball, but he comes from uh, some genetics that 
Yeah, pretty fast, too. That's, gosh, that's an outstanding bar trivia question. Who ran the fastest yeah, combine Yeah, I would not have guessed Eric Bassey. Of any OU say, player ever. I would not have guessed Eric Bassey. So and I do remember Eric Bassey at OU, but wouldn't have guessed him. Oh, yeah, certainly. That would have been, what, 2005 combine, I would say? Uh, uh Yeah, I mean, he was playing, I oh, think, five, oh, really f- full-time, first time in, like, 02, I want to say. Okay. So, yeah, maybe uh, 04, 05. One listener from the 580 on the text line said, please tell us in comparison from Michael Hawkins to Bama's Young. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and not try to compare a high school quarterback to the guy that won the Heisman (laughs) Trophy last year and is probably going to be the first overall pick in the NFL draft. I'm going to resist the urge on that one. But, uh, look, Michael Hawkins is a guy that when you think about the phenomenal quarterbacks that have come through the University of Oklahoma in the past from – Jason White to Sam Bradford, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts. I think all of those guys had unique elements to their game. Right? There wasn't there wasn't a perfect past sooner comp for any of those quarterbacks. Sure. Right? And I think it's more the same with both Jackson Arnold and Michael Hawkins. I think the closest comp for Arnold is Baker, obviously, and I think there are a lot of similarities there, but even Arnold has some unique ways that he plays the position that make him a unicorn. And I think the same is true for Hawkins. And I'm going to be real curious over the next year to see, A, how he bulks up because he's naturally built a bit more on the slender side. And I think there are those that have concerns about his ability to hold up and his durability at the next level. So I'm going to be interested to see how much weight Hawkins can pack on, but also just how he continues to develop as a thrower because the athleticism is not a question at all. Oh, no, 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 no. Gunny says, so I have it right. Trent Smith isn't related to Nigel Smith, and Orlando Brown isn't related to Sammy Brown, but Cooper Alexander is related to Steven Alexander. Gunny, you're three for three on that one. Nice job. You have been paying attention over the course of the past week. Nice job. Uh, David from Norman says, since Hawkins wasn't good enough to start at Allen, do you think he can at least play some in Frisco? Tongue in cheek for those that couldn't tell. Yes. It's become a running joke the last few days. We have one listener who insists that Hawkins was about to lose his job at Allen, and that's why he transferred. Yeah, I don't think so. Brian and Tulsa have been out of the loop for a bit. Do we know when Hawkins commits? Did you get a better idea of that after this weekend? Yes. I I would be surprised if we get out of the month of March without a commitment from Michael Hawkins. Um. OU and TCU? It's OU and TCU, and of course, OU fans look at this situation, they wonder, well, why on earth wouldn't you just commit to OU? Well, it's not that simple, and this family and this kid don't look at the dichotomy here through the same lens that an OU fan does, naturally. And so you have to understand that Michael's equally comfortable with both Kendall Bryles and Jeff Levy coaching him at the next level. In the end, this recruitment is about two coaches more than it is two schools. It's about Jeff Levy, and it's about Kendall Bryles. And so Michael was on the precipice of making a decision on January 31st, and the consensus across the board was that that decision was going to go in favor of Oklahoma, but then Bryles took a new job, and of course, that kind of resets everything, if only momentarily. Sure. Right, because... As a 17-year-old kid, and as the family of a 17-year-old kid that has to make a life-altering decision, what you don't want to do, and I know it's going to make some OU fans' ears really singe when I say this, but what you don't want to do is commit to Oklahoma, lock yourself into that for the future, 
and then depending on how things go four or five years down the line, have the inevitable what if conversations about what if we'd given Kendall Bryles employer the time of day. Well, especially since he moved, his new job is in the Metroplex. Correct. Like they, there was already a relationship there. Like we kind of laid out, it's going to be an OU Arkansas battle because Bryles was there, but now he moves closer to the Hawkins family in the Metroplex for a team that just played in the national championship game. It makes sense as to why he's taking a long look at TCU. And he wants to commit early, but we're still 10 months away from national signing day. It's not as if he's under immediate pressure to make a decision because he could still commit in March and have plenty of time to recruit his peers to either Norman or Fort Worth. But when you evaluate all of your options and you check every box, you cross every T and dot every I, as Mike Sr. put it to me, uh, you set yourself up in such a circumstance that you don't allow for the possibility of regrets or what-ifs to creep sure. in down the line. When you make this decision, you're a 1,000% confident. Yeah, it, it, it does sound like um, Lebby and Bryles are going to be kind of the main forces behind this recruitment. Just a random thought that I had, though, to continue our kind of SEC conversation from Friday. The 24 cycle is going to be interesting for OU because well, we've known that OU is going to be in the SEC, and these 2024 kids were going to play in the conference. But now that's going to be their true freshman season, correct? So I, I wonder in the case of um, of Michael Hawkins or Nigel Smith or anyone else that you recruit in the 24 class, does it make any sort of a difference at all that they know that they're not going to play one year in the Big 12? Their freshman year is going to be in the SEC. Their entire career will be in the Southeastern Conference. I just wonder if that'll be a fact or not in the 2024 class. There's probably not a right or wrong answer. It probably differs on, you know, the kid, maybe. I don't know, but it'll be an interesting storyline to follow, I guess. 405-651-3439. Text line, got a question for you that we're going to hit on the other side as we go to a break. I was just looking at um, the past few recruiting classes, really the past two under this new staff. In the next five years, how many players on OU's roster, I'm not counting Oklahoma kids and I'm not counting Texas kids, but which states will be the best represented on the OU roster in the next five years, excluding Oklahoma and Texas. I looked at the recent classes and thought, this state in particular might have a really good chance to, to have that honor, which would be interesting if that's the case. Keep it right here on The Ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune. We are The Ref, the homeless Sooner fans. Keep the text coming, 405-651-3439. The Ref Army listening worldwide today. Nuremberg, Germany, that's a first, tuned in via the Ref app. Ottawa, Canada, Franklin, Tennessee, Colleen, Texas, home of anybody? Anybody, Colleen, Texas, home of who? Former OU standout. Joaquin Iglesias. Uh, I was thinking Tommy Harris. But, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, hey, also Joaquin Iglesias. Yeah, 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 Tommy Harris. Uh, Fishers, Indiana, small town of the day, Wilson, Oklahoma. Teased it before the break, but went back and looked at these uh, previous two classes and kind of saying, all right, outside of Oklahoma and Texas, where's maybe the uh, most represented state going to come from? And based on the past two classes, Parker, it's going to be Florida. And I asked the text line what they think, and I think the majority of the texts we got was were from the state of Florida, but we got a lot from Missouri as well. Like, if it's not Oklahoma and it's not Texas moving forward, where are we going to see the state that's most represented? Is it going to be Florida or is it going to be Missouri? Because it does feel like it has a good chance to be one of those two states. I would say more likely it's. I would say more likely it's Florida, just because 
there are going to be so many more opportunities for Oklahoma to land kids from the state of Florida. And I see. I, I still think there will be a strong Missouri presence in the recruiting classes going forward, especially from St. Louis and from the east side of Kansas City. But I, I, I am eager to see just how quickly Oklahoma can break into IMG. Yeah. Because – that is still a gold mine that remains untapped. And I don't I don't know if you can really count David Stone. I don't know if Stone really qualifies just because he's from Oklahoma. So But but Pachati would count. Are you are you gonna count Pachati in that? No, because he was committed to Oklahoma before okay. he went to IMG. Right. So at what point can you break down the wall that's kept Oklahoma largely out of IMG in years past? They got TJ Pledger from IMG. They got Brendan Radley Hiles. Gavin Marshall was another IMG kid. But for the most part, because typically any given year, we're talking about four or five truly elite players that finished their oh, high sure, school careers yeah. at IMG. We're talking five star guys. How soon can Oklahoma land one of those dudes? Because it's at that point I think that your start, it, it, folks start to regard you as a serious threat for anybody that comes through a giant feeder school like that. How soon? Um, I, I think it can happen relatively soon. I, I don't know if we're going to see in the next three years, Parker, however many four or five stars players IMG puts out that OU gets the bulk of them. But we're already seeing a major difference in the state of Florida, right? Like, we're already seeing it. They got, um, well, I, I had it written down, five kids in the 23 class from the state of Florida. That's not counting Pachati. So maybe it's even six or seven from the state of Florida. And they got four in the previous class. I, I don't know if there's been a year where OU in a two-year you know time span has gotten 10 players or more from the state of Florida. I don't, I don't know if that's ever happened before. So when will it happen? I think it can happen relatively soon. But they're in the best situation to do that than they probably have ever been to really creep in on IMG. Yeah, and the one kid beyond Stone that they've been in on for quite some time out of IMG in the class of 24 is Jordan Johnson Rubel, whom somebody brought up on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. I don't foresee him being in Oklahoma's class right now. I think Oklahoma has kind of set their sights elsewhere, and it seems that Texas has taken the lead for Jordan Johnson, Rubella's things stand right now. But you think about the the schools that are typically in contention for the top players out of IMG. Well, it's not surprisingly Florida, Georgia, Alabama. Sure. Kind of those three. And so – and Clemson to an extent as well. Clemson's pretty good about – Well, uh, a lot of this staff is recruited that I – I mean, and that's obviously what I'm has the Florida ties, sure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you had those relationships at Clemson and you were able to break down that barrier at Clemson – how long until you can do the same at Oklahoma? Because at that, at that point, especially with OU transitioning to the SEC in a little over a year and a half, or I guess less than a year and a half at this point, then you are going to be able to walk into a place like IMG, offer anybody, and know that you're going to have a pretty good chance at landing them. 918 says Florida will be the state most re uh, represented for overall population and depth numbers. Missouri for quality and one-off talents. I, I think that's a really good text. I think... Missouri in that Kansas City area, maybe they're a little bit deeper than just a one-off talent here and there, but yeah, Florida has the most depth out of any state there. I, I would agree. You're going to continue to do damage in Kansas City, in, in the state of Missouri as a whole, but Florida will be the state that's most represented. And you know what? If the third most represented state on your roster outside of Oklahoma and Texas is Florida, I think that that that's that. That's a good spot to be in. I think Florida is the school that you would want in that scenario. It's the it's the best state out there. Well, and consider that 
the Sooners have had some really solid players. Some would even say top flight players come out of the state of Florida in recent years. I think the best example is probably Nick Benito, kid that Oklahoma got out of Fort Lauderdale, and he proved to be a stud. Jaden Davis is from Florida. I get that his career has been up and down, but he's had some really nice moments. Danny Stutzman's a Florida guy. Uh, I'm trying to think who else has come from Florida. Jaden Gibson, another kid that a lot of folks are high on heading into 2023 and that should have an opportunity to make his mark in the receiver room. That's a Florida football player right there. Yeah, uh, someone else pointed out on the text line that Dylan Riola got a crystal ball to Nebraska today. He did. It was at a 4 of 10, but it's a crystal ball for Riola to Nebraska, so it's significant. I'm just telling you, man, I, I, I like Matt Rule. I like him a lot. Um, I am definitely going to manage expectations if he doesn't get a top-flight quarterback, though I do think he's going to do some nice things at Nebraska. If Matt Rule gets someone like Dylan Riola up there to Lincoln, watch out, man. And I don't say watch out like they're about to take over to the Big Ten or anything like that, but that's a level of player at that position that Nebraska hasn't had in a long time. And if they were to get the number one overall quarterback in this class or maybe even the number one overall player in this class, that's when maybe you can really start to see a massive shift in what Nebraska's doing up there. I mean, this would be... It'd be the biggest signee that they've gotten in, I, I don't even, over 20 years. I don't know ever. how long. Yeah, may, ever. yeah, maybe ever. Probably ever. Uh, just because of how much more recruiting means these days than it did in years past and how much more is made of the recruiting process and how much more highly publicized it is. Dylan Riola would be a transformative addition for the University of Nebraska because where he goes, others follow. And suddenly Nebraska becomes one of the most attractive destinations in the entire country for skill position talent because they know that the guy that's going to be at the controls of that offense is a truly elite football sure. player. And, and that kind of, I mean, good point about Dylan Riola is we saw it with Arch Manning. We saw it with Jackson Arnold. We see it with all elite quarterbacks. When you get the quarterback, you're getting most of the time more than just him. I mean, you're going to get talent that surrounds him as well. So that goes back to – that would happen with Riola at Nebraska. Will it happen with Michael Hawkins if he signs with Oklahoma? You think yes. But what if they don't get Michael Hawkins? Like, how, big of an, how big of an impact on this class would it be if you don't get him in 2024? Because the, the option outside of him at quarterback right now, it's, it's hard to tell who that is. I'm just worrying. I, I'm wondering, not worrying, wondering what the entire impact of this class is if you don't get Michael Hawkins. Well, I, look, there's going to be an impact if Hawkins ends up picking TCU over Oklahoma. Look, I've said many a time, I'll stand by it. I think he picks Oklahoma in the end because – Although I mentioned he feels equally comfortable with Kendall Browse and Jeff Lebby, one thing that Oklahoma has going for it that TCU doesn't is that Oklahoma means a lot more to the Hawkins family than TCU does. So I think he's a Sooner in the end. If you don't get him, if Kendall Browse steals him away and he's a TCU Horned Frog, yeah, there's going to be an impact because there are guys in the DFW area right now that are waiting on Michael Hawkins to make his decision because they want to see which school he's going to pick and they're willing to fall in line behind him if the fit's right for them as well. So, yes, there's going to be an impact, and it's not going to be a net zero, but I also want everybody to consider, <laughs> did Oklahoma's class come nosediving to the ground when DJ Hicks picked Texas A&M in September? No. No, I mean, it, it, and it didn't happen when, wow, why am I totally blanking on the quarterback at Georgia? Um, 
R- really? I'm, I'm totally blanking on the quarterback Brock of Georgia. Brock Vandegrift, yes. Um, and it didn't nosedive last year when Malachi Nelson decommitted either. So, to that point, we've seen way more drastic situations happen before, and the class ended up being okay. So I, but and I, it's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah and we, obviously, we will never know what a class with Michael Hawkins in it l- would look like versus a class without Michael Hawkins in it. But I think Hawkins is going to be the quarterback for Oklahoma in the class of 2024. And if it's not him, then, well, Oklahoma's kind of going back to the drawing board. But the good news is Jeff Lebby's got enough of a resume, and there's still enough of a draw to playing quarterback at the University of Oklahoma that you're going to be able to go and identify another blue-chip target at that position and be able to make serious noise very quickly. Matt Rule is a stud college coach, says a texture in the 405. Not sure if he can turn that dumpster fire around, but I know he'll have some successes. Well, you get Dylan Riola, you got a lot better chance to turn that dumpster fire around. That's that's for sure. Doug and Norman, everyone ready? Oh boy, we almost need a sound drop for uh, Doug and Norman texts that are upcoming. <laughs> I don't know if we need a siren or what. Doug says, if Jackson Arnold is as good as you are promoting, why would M- Michael Hawkins choose to sit for three years? Well, if Jackson Arnold is as good as we are promoting, Michael Hawkins will only He'll be sitting sit for two years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, one being a redshirt year, and the other being. Uh, a year is the true backup behind Arnold, and I think that's fine. You know, I I I feel as though expectations have been set unrealistically high these days for many quarterbacks, just because it's almost as if okay, you have this highly regarded blue chip quarterback, he has to be on the field by year two, otherwise it's a missed eval, it's a failure. Kids should hit the transfer portal, go somewhere else, regroup. That's not necessarily the case. Even the best of the best, i.e. Bryce Young, a guy that we talked about at the top of the show, even he sat for a year when he could have absolutely played for Alabama the second he stepped on campus. Sometimes getting the opportunity to grow into your body, grow into the system, learn and not be rushed onto the field can be a really good thing for a young quarterback. By the way, uh, this happened uh, earlier this afternoon at the OU Basketball Media Availability. Porter was apparently asked about his interest in the Notre Dame job, which Mike Bray is now not retiring. We don't have any clarity if that means he's coaching Notre Dame next year or what that situation is, but he says he's not retiring. Porter was asked about it today, and he said, quote, I'm a Catholic kid from Chicago. We've had a lot of success in the Chicago area, a lot of respect for that university, talking about Notre Dame. With that said, I have no interest. I have not pursued it. Nor do I have any interest. Oklahoma is my home. The Sooners are my home. End quote. So, Mike Bray's not retiring. Porter said that he's not interested. Porter's buyout is $6 million come April. Even if he is interested, Notre Dame's interested, I would think it's a pretty low possibility that he's coaching in South Bend next year. Okay, so we're either getting mule shoot again or Porter's around for the long haul. Uh, well, <laughs> there could be an in-between in there. <laughs> there could be, yes, but I prefer not to discuss that yeah. possibility. All right, text line, we're asking a lot of you today. Uh, another question as we hit a break here. Who was really disappointed out of the current SEC teams when they saw on Thursday night that OU and Texas are going to be in the SEC in 2024? That's the worst possible news for who currently in the SEC? And I mean when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to on-the-field success, which team currently in the SEC was like, yeah, that's not good news for us? We'll hit that in a lot more coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref.
Locked in with McComas and Thune, live on the ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans. You guys, just like every other day, killing it on the Air Comfort Solutions text line today. We had a lot of different uh, opinions there. Which SEC team is most negatively uh, impacted with OU and Texas entering into the SEC? 918 says, Texas A&M. A&M's big brother just bought a new house in the same neighborhood, and so did their good-looking cousin. Oh, God. We're cousins with Texas A&M? Really? Oh, boy. I don't want to be related to those guys. Can we, can we get out of that one, please? I don't, I don't claim them as family. Almost simultaneously, we got two virtually identical but also quite different texts. So one listener in the 918 said, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi State, Missouri, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. Somebody else just simply said everyone that's not <laughs> Alabama or yeah, Georgia, yeah. which is a lot more efficient. Yeah. Sean says A&M, Missouri, and Arkansas in that order. I do think it's Texas A&M. That's the most of, ugh, yeah, that, that we wish that wouldn't have happened. Just because they, you know, A&M's biggest recruiting rival is Texas, and I think their second biggest recruiting rival on a year-in-year-out basis is probably Oklahoma. Now, Texas, I, Texas A&M has NIL to back up their recruiting. We've seen that, but they also had, you know, a little bit of an edge in terms of, hey, those schools don't play in the SEC, and we do. Now that's not the case anymore, and I think that that's going to have a neg- negative impact for A&M. Does that mean that they're going to have, you know, classes ranked from 20 to 25 moving forward? I, I don't think so, but I-, I do think it has a negative impact when their two biggest recruiting rivals can now both say, yeah, we're SEC schools as well. I would probably say A&M. The big thing for A&M is – on the Venn diagram in which one circle represents the SEC and another circle represents Texas, they used to be the only school in the middle of the Venn diagram. Yeah. Now they lost that claim to exclusivity. And, yeah, it's technically Texas that interferes with that exclusivity, but also when you consider how heavily Oklahoma recruits the state of Texas. Especially the, the DFW. That would be the closest SEC destination, right, yeah. for those kids there? OU and A&M, historically – have done battle for a lot of top talent from the Lone Star State and continue to and will continue to. I would say that's OU's two biggest recruiting rivals, Texas and A&M. Yeah. Anyone want to argue with that? Kind of depends on the region. I would say in a wholesale sense, yeah, Texas that's how and, I, and I'm, that's how I'm looking yeah. at it. Yeah, maybe Alabama. Maybe also Alabama. Well, if Alabama becomes one of your two biggest recruiting rivals, then good things have happened. Like, I would you, think so. Like, you don't, like, that doesn't just happen by accident, right? Like that's That means that you've been pulling in some good players recently or at least been in the mix with some high-profile players as well. 405 says, surprise pick is LSU. They have mystique of getting all of the best players in Louisiana and not requir- requiring out-of-state players. While they quietly recruit Texas like crazy, they're losing that SEC logo advantage in Texas just like A&M is. Is it fair that it's, I mean, it's not 100% true, but A&M, or excuse me, LSU and OU may emphasize different parts of Texas. Uh, it feels like LSU very active in Houston, and OU will get kids out of Houston, but it seems very more true. DFW type of, uh, type of you know, a, a thing for OU. I, yeah, and I would say OU is definitely more so in DFW than Houston. LSU is more so in Houston than DFW. A&M has feet fit pretty firmly planted in both markets. Sure. 
Yeah, I would say so. Definitely Houston, man. Definitely Houston. Tommy says name a SEC school. SEC school. It doesn't hurt. Um. Well, I. We'll, we'll see how affected Alabama and Georgia are, but will Bama and Georgia lose maybe one more or two more players a year now that OU and Texas have the SEC logo? I don't. I don't know. Maybe. I. I don't. I mean, we can't absolutely prove that, but. Alabama and Georgia could be affected, but it would probably be on a pretty minimal scale, at least early on. You have a big opinion on that? That Bama and Georgia are really affected at all by this? I, I don't think so, at least not immediately. Not when you're looking at the future in a myopic sense, because Alabama and Georgia are at the tip of the top of the college football landscape. Right now, they're and they're not going anywhere as long as their head coaches stay put. And so, right now, I don't know that Bama and Georgia are looking over their shoulder at anybody. No, they're not. Now, five, ten years down the road, maybe that's a different conversation. And certainly once Nick Saban retires and if and when Kirby Smart is no longer the head coach at Georgia, then I, I would say that whole conversation on line of thinking has some merit. But until then, those two programs are worried about each other, and that's about it. The Jag says Vanderbilt is the most angry. They used to be the academic leader in the SEC. Now OU, the Harvard of the Plains, has that distinction. Camo Sooner says, let me throw y'all a curveball. What about Vanderbilt? I mean, can you imagine being that school in such a tough conference and now two more powerhouses are coming aboard? Okay, I'm trying to think. Are they the only private school in the SEC? Uh, Vandy, yeah. I, yeah, I Offhand, so. I would say so, yeah. Yeah. The Big 12, meanwhile, uh, has TCU and Baylor are both private schools, right? Yeah, and Vanderbilt has always been a fish out of water in the SEC as far as football is concerned. They have a great baseball program. Yes. They're reasonably competitive in basketball. Kind of depends on the Just year. Just beat Tennessee last week on a buzzer beater. Yeah, huh? how about that? No Jerry Stackhouse. But they are atrocious at football and always have been. James Franklin is pretty much the only guy that's ever won there. And when he was winning, he was winning seven, maybe eight games. That's what winning looked like at Vanderbilt. It is going to be awesome if, uh, you know, we made the Kansas beat Texas in football jokes if Vanderbilt uh, has that new distinction in the SEC over Texas. Which which would be more embarrassing for Texas, losing to Kansas or losing to Vanderbilt? Right now, kind of feels like losing to Vanderbilt would be a whole lot worse than losing to Kansas. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no longer a stigma as far as losing to Kansas is concerned because Kansas just made a bowl game, but – Gosh, what what is the next time Vanderbilt's going to make a bowl game? I I need to look back. It's been a while since I researched this, but I think Vanderbilt's only played in like seven or eight bowl games in the history of their program. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're bad. They have no business being in the SEC in football. Brian and Tulsa, if we are related to the Fighting 83s, then it's by marriage twice removed. There ain't no way we are in the same gene pool. Yeah, I, I hope that there's not a relation there. I don't think it is. 405, OU has to win a natty before it will be before it will dramatically affect Bama or Georgia. That's and I I would say that's true for every other SEC program. And look, LSU won a national championship not that long ago, and they had the chance to kind of overturn the apple cart in that sense. But then it was very quickly squandered, which is understandable because – even in the moment, it was very clear that LSU caught lightning in a bottle and that success was not replicable, and then you had the whole Ed O factor. Yeah. 405, I can promise you neither Kirby Smart or Nick Saban are fearing OU or Texas coming into the SEC. And then we've got a lot of Arkansas. Arkansas easily 
they could be uh, used to playing in the SEC close to home as a recruiting tactic for high-end kids from Oklahoma and Northern Texas, but won't be able to do that anymore. I think they're in for a world of hurt for a while. Yeah, I, f- from a competitive standpoint, like if Arkansas is in the same like little 3-14 pool as OU is, and they're in the same as Tech, like that's going to be difficult for Arkansas, but... I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there will be effect for Arkansas, but I don't think it's as big of an effect as like a Texas A&M. No. Arkansas, they, their nucleus, their identity is going to remain relatively unchanged. I don't think and, their bottom line is going to change all that much in the grand I scheme mean, of things. What, what is that program best-case scenario in today's SEC? An eight, nine-win program, yeah. I would say. If they can break through, win double-digit games, recapture some of the magic that they enjoyed throughout the Darren McFadden era – at Arkansas, then, okay. Just tough for Maybe, them to be but... consistent from year to year. Like, they can rise up every three or four years, have a team that's played a lot of football and be really good, and I think you've seen that from the past, but it's just hard for them year in and year out to have the talent pool to compete. Especially when they're year. so geographically isolated. Yeah. And I know... Even you know, in the their difference... own state they are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I know it might not seem that much given that Norman and Fayetteville are just three hours away from one another, but you got to consider that going back to that old Texas conversation, Norman's a two-hour drive from the north side of DFW. You cannot say the same about Fayetteville. No, you cannot. 405-651-3439, final segment of Locked In's coming up next. All right, final segment, Locked In with McComas and Thune. The rush is coming up next. I, I was just looking at some, like, uh, I got in, like, a rabbit hole today of, hey, I wonder how certain SEC schools have fared recruiting their own state over the course of the past four years. And 24-7 sports, like, the state player rankings, it will only go back to 2020. So I only have the last four recruiting classes to pull from. Mississippi State, this may not be that big of a surprise, Mississippi State has not pulled the number one player from Mississippi in the last four uh, recruiting classes But neither has Auburn from the state of Alabama. In fact, Auburn hasn't pulled a top four player from the state of Alabama in the last four uh, recruiting cycles, Parker. They've had their highest, the number seven player, the number nine player, the number five player, and the number eight player were their uh, four highest in the last four classes. Dang. That's the nature of doing business with Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. When you are doing battle on those geographical grounds, Man. it is difficult. And that's just another thing that compounds upon all the other difficulties that come with being the head football coach at Auburn, which is why Brent Venables, among others, never really had any interest yeah. in taking that job. You can't even get a top four player in your own state, dude. With Alabama and Georgia and everyone else lurking around, it's not it's not easy at Auburn. Tennessee, um, they've had some real up-and-down success in their state, man. They did pull the number one player in 2023, but in 2022, the best player they got in state was the number 13 overall player in the state of Tennessee. 2021, they had the number eight overall player in the state. 2020, they got the number one overall player, and it was Key Lawrence, who, you know, found his way to Oklahoma, which I thought was interesting. Key Lawrence was the number one player in Tennessee at one point. Yeah, well, uh, I... (laughs) Never mind. I'm not going to say what I wanted to say mm. about Key Lawrence. Yeah, that he should have played more. Or no, 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 not that. Anyway, different. No. Okay. Um, Alabama is the number one team in college basketball right now, as one of our listeners on the Air Comfort Solutions text line just noted. They got shellacked 16 days ago 
by Porter Moser's Oklahoma Sooners, a team that sucks right now. Oh, we'll expect to see that um, in April when Bama is in the Final Four. How many tweets get put out around here about, oh, you blew this team out by, you know, what was it, 23, 24 points, whatever it was, and they didn't even play in a postseason basketball tournament this year. Everyone's already got that uh, typed up in their drafts, I'm sure, that Oklahoma beat this Alabama team. Of all the bizarre things that have happened in the world of Oklahoma sports, dating back eh, a year, I would say, I don't know that there's anything more bizarre than the outcome of that game. Uh, it makes no well, logical sense Well, if things whatsoever. continue to trend the direction that they're trending and I don't see it going the opposite way, then you're probably going to end up being right on that one. But I think you are right at this current moment as well. It's pretty bonkers. Let's see what else we have on the text line before anybody else, uh, before we get up or and get out here. Auburn totally blew it by not hiring Deion Sanders. I don't think that was ever going to happen. Yeah. I just don't think – like Dion is going to want more control than Auburn would have allowed. Oh him. yeah, and I think going yes. to Colorado, he's got a stranglehold on the University of Colorado because he will get whatever. He's a little he bit wants. more chilled out in more than one way out there at uh-huh. the CU. Hey, real quick uh, before we get out of here, James Peoples. We've been talking a lot about him, four-star running back out of San Antonio. OU makes the final six. Is he the running back at least for now that we really need to put? most of our focus on for OU in the 24 class? No, Caden Durham is, but a close second is James Peoples. And it's tough to predict what Oklahoma gets the running back position because DeMarco's hard after so many guys right now, but the two most likely in my mind are Durham and Peoples. Zane says Parker was going to say the key to Oklahoma's 2023 defense is the Lawrence kid. No, I wasn't going to say that. No either. dad joke was going to happen. No there. dad joke. Hmm. No dad joke. All right. Well, maybe I can get that one out of you tomorrow. We'll see. The rush is coming up next. Keep it locked on the ref.